It's January 9th, 2020, and it's the first episode of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined by Paul Hoynes. Paul, good to talk to you. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Joe. Happy New Year for the Cleveland Indians, uh, 2020, and we're looking at a a new second baseman. They officially announced Cesar Hernandez back uh, right before New Year's Eve. One year, six point two five million uh, to replace Jason Kipnis at second base, and we finally got to talk to Chris Antonetti this week uh, about the signing. Uh, your impression uh, on what attracted or what brought the Indians to uh, Hernandez as the option there at second base? You know, Joe, I thought uh, I thought it was a good signing, a one-year deal, six point two, six point five million. Um, very, you know, there's no such thing as a, ba- as a bad one-year deal. Every general manager will tell you that. But I think you're getting a, a talented player here. He gives them four switch hitters on the infield, uh, assuming Lindor opens the year with, with the Tribe. That's, that's Tito uh, Francona will love that. And uh, this is an accomplished player, a guy that played, started 155 games at second base last year, appeared in 157 games, and uh, – you know, love Kipnis, but uh, you know, Kip had reached a stage in his career where he was, you know, he was playing 130 to 125 to 130 games. It was hard to keep him on the field longer than that. So this is this guy is 29. Um, he get, you know, he makes a lot of contact. Uh, he had what over 170 hits last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, I think he's a good player. I, we haven't seen him play defense. But, you know, from reading your stories, you know, uh, what, uh, Fangraphs plus six defensive runs saved. Right. So I think, you know, we've got a solid guy. And we, we haven't seen him turn the double play. But I imagine, you know, after playing seven years in, 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 in the National League with the Phillies, or at least seven, parts of seven seasons, you know, I think he's an accomplished guy. Well, uh, you know, part of making him look good turning those double plays is going to be Francisco Lindor playing next to him for, for you know, any amount of time that, that the Indians are going to have him this year. One of the things that Antonetti said that stood out was he controls the strike zone. Uh, he puts the ball in play. He's a uh, high on-base percentage guy. And, uh, you know, when he gets on base, he can steal bases. He can do a lot of things. So... Uh, I think he fits real well uh, towards the top of that lineup. And, and that brings in another question, uh, one that Antonetti was, was not willing to really get into. Uh, it's more of a question for Francona when we talk to him next is, you know, where do you bat this guy? Do you, he's found the most success in his career in Philly uh, batting out of the leadoff spot. But the Indians, obviously, you know, they like Francisco Lindor there. Is, is this finally the move that gets Francona to move Lindor down into that third spot? Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I think you know with this lineup, you know if you don't have Puig hitting in the middle of this lineup anymore, it, it could be a, a time where you move Lindor down and, and let uh, Hernandez hit leadoff. So we'll see how that works out. Well, I mean, you, like you said, you've got all of those switch hitters, and you want to lengthen things out and and, and move back, move guys around. Uh, you can always drop Jose Ramirez down to that fifth spot if you need to. Uh, and and you, you just you've got Framil Reyes. I think uh, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna bat him. You know, fourth fourth or fifth. You know, somewhere in there. Uh, so whatever you can do to spread things out, 
uh, I, I think Tito's got a lot of options now with uh, with as many switch hitters as he's going to have. So uh, you know that was that was the uh, the Indians' Christmas present right there, uh, uh, signing uh, Cesar Hernandez, using some of that uh, uh, financial flexibility, as as Antonetti called it, uh, from the Corey Kluber trade. Uh, you know, there there's still uh, if you take into account what the what the 17 million that they that they saved uh, just about on that, uh, you're, you're talking, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit more than 10 million uh, still out there in terms of stuff that they could do. But you're talking about uh, arbitration uh, in- increases and, and, and whatnot raises in that regard. So uh, how much financial flexibility now do the Indians still have? to go out and go after, uh, you know, any, any help in the outfield, another bullpen arm, anything else? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a big question. Uh, you know, this is a team, Joe, since uh, 2017, has cut over $40 million from the payroll. And if you look at, you know, projections for 2020, depending on, you know, what kind of site you go to, you know, this is this is a team that's going to be under a hundred million in in payroll. You know, ninety one to ninety five million, and uh, you just wonder how competitive they're going to be. I mean, the White Sox, you know, this winter alone have spent I think over two hundred million dollars on on you know free agents and you know acquiring salary and and uh, you just <laughs> you know for you know they I think it just puts a ton of pressure on the front office, on Antonetti and Chernoff, and on the coaching staff uh, with Francona. I mean, you can't make a mistake now. You got, and, you know, obviously they knew this going in. They knew what kind of market Cleveland is and what kind of payroll restrictions they have. But uh, it doesn't make it any easier. Right. And the club got significantly younger over the last two seasons. And, you know, they, they still managed to win 93 games and, and, and stay competitive down to the final week of the season. So, uh, I mean, so far it worked. Uh, I just don't know if you can extend that into this year and still be competitive with what the rest of the division has done around you. Uh, you know, we're not talking about the, the AL East or, or, or Houston or anything like that. We're talking about uh, the Central, which you've been able to dominate for the last, you know, you know, four or five years with the core that you've had, but for them, for right now, the majority of uh, of those guys are, are are still with you. But you're looking at you know the possibility of of this being the last season you're going to have Francisco Lindor, and we don't know how long that's going to be. Uh, can you know can Framo Reyes step in and and contribute the way that they're going to need him to? Uh, over over the course of 162 games, uh, can Carlos Santana come back and be as consistent as he was from start to finish last year? And can Jose Ramirez carry the team uh, the way he did prior to, to to falling off in 2018? Yeah, I, I think you're you're definitely right. And uh, you know, I thought <clears throat> obviously one of the bigger stories or the bigger uh, kind of headlines to come out of uh, our conference call with Antonetti. Uh, on Wednesday was, uh, you know, the fact that he feels more and more confident that Lindor will open the season as as the Indians opening day shortstop. And uh, after all the speculation this winter, um, it, it, that's, that's an interesting concept 
But, you know, Joe, this thing isn't going away. You know, I mean, like you said, I mean, they, they got two years with this guy. And now, you know, there's signposts along the season where you're going to have to trade him or keep him. And, you know, the next one coming up, I guess, is uh, – I mean, I, I don't think this thing is, is a long way from over. I, I think if the Dodgers called Antonetti tomorrow and, and made the right deal, I think they'd make that trade. I really do. And, I don't you – know, so. But Antonetti is so careful with what he says and, and the kind of tells he reveals that by what he said yesterday, that, that's kind of a, you know, that's, that's, that's a red flag to me. Not a red flag as a danger, but, you know, that's, that kind of confirms that he's going to be on March 26th against the Detroit Tigers while we're all uh, freezing and suffering frostbite. <laughs> uh, Lindor's going to be running out there at shortstop for the Indians. Well, I, I think you're right. He's been very careful about, you know, what he said. It's just frustrating, not just for us in the media, but for, for the fans to just not hear it from, uh, you know, Anthony. He's he's saying what he needs to say to keep all of his options open, and I get that. But the reality is, look, the team has no chance of re-signing this guy. So just say it, you know, do that and and, and, and tell everybody, look, we're trying to get the best deal out there. Uh, we, we haven't gotten what we want yet and, and we're going to sit on it. Uh, I uh, personally, from what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, I think if the Dodgers were willing to part with Gavin Lux today, that deal would have been done already. Uh, I, I really do. But I don't think that the Dodgers are willing to part with Lux or, or Dustin May or, or you know, the, any one of the, or Verdugo, Verdugo or any of those guys. I think if if any one of those three were included in a deal, I think that would have been already done. So, yeah. So uh, I mean, this is this is a thing that's going to be hanging over this club, you know, for the rest, you know, for the for the rest of this off season, spring training, and the regular season. There's no escape from it, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Yeah, and you know, keep an eye on how the Dodgers progress early in the season if things are are a struggle for them, which, you know, it's not likely that it will be. But, you know, if the Dodgers are having trouble, then it's going to be they're, – they're going to be more willing to to maybe change their mind on who they include in the package, obviously. You know, another guy, Clevenger, we didn't talk too much to Antonetti about Clevenger last uh, Wednesday – on Wednesday. But, Joe, I, I keep reading, that, like, rumors that he's going to be traded, and I, I can't see it. I, I – I think that's a. I just think that's speculation, pure, rampant, rampant uh, speculation. I mean, you already trade Bauer and Kluber. Now you're going to trade your, you know, a, a Cy Young candidate for what? What? I mean, he's what, 27, 28 years old. He's he's under control for three more years. I guess it depends what you get in return, obviously. But right. I I can't see it. I I I I just I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, this is what his his first or second year. Uh... First year, I believe, of arbitration. Sure arbitration, you know, so you got him under control, and he's not going to break the bank. Right. Projections have him at about four point two five million, some, four, somewhere four in five. that range. Yeah, four five. Four point five. Uh, you know, that's that's certainly affordable for a guy who's, if he stays healthy, could could win you twenty games this year. Uh, you know, especially pitching, and especially the way that he dominates the American League Central. Uh, ridiculous statistics against teams like Kansas City and Detroit. Uh, 
obviously, you know, that, that that's not that tough. But, you know, a guy like Corey Kluber, you know, built his entire career on beating up on teams like Kansas City and Detroit. Yeah, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, well, you know, he's eligible for arbitration. Uh, if, if, if they don't get any, a deal done between now and uh, Friday when they, you know, players and, and teams exchange numbers, <clears throat> you know, he could go through the process. But you can sign at any time, you know, before there's a hearing. Um, right. But, uh, you know, so you've got what we've got Lindor, Clevenger, Nick Whitgren and, and Tyler Naquin are, are the four guys eligible for arbitration. And, and I believe Sandy Leon as well. But didn't Leon sign already after the uh, trade? You I know think, what? He, I, signed, yeah, I think he signed for $2 million, but I'm, I'm almost sure. But I, I thought they, they reached a deal with him after when, when they made the, you know, when, they, right. when it got to uh, the non-tender date. Right. And, yeah, so we're, we're talking about those guys, uh, you know, Lindor was eligible to, 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 to go to trial just to see how much he would get, uh, but, but wound up signing, you know, before any sort of hearing uh, last year. Clevenger, uh, first year, how, how likely, because of the Bauer influence, because of, you know, being, uh, uh, being very close with Trevor Bauer, and we all know Trevor Bauer's attitude towards, you know, the whole arbitration process, how, how likely do you think Clevenger would be to sign beforehand or do you think he rolls the dice and, and goes to a, a hearing well you know Bauer was an interesting case he was a a, a plus two guy a super right. two so he got to go forth he'll be going this is I think his fourth bite of the apple with this winter with Cincinnati and he really he didn't go to arbitration his first year that the first year he was eligible with the Indians he went the last two and beat he wanted to go he that was his yeah. thing he wanted to sit there across the table and hear the, the, the arbitrators on behalf of Major League Baseball uh, or the, the, the representatives argue against him. He wanted to hear what they had to say. Yeah. And uh, so, but Clevenger, you know, didn't pitch that many innings last, last season. You know, he had the injury, missed two months, had a great year. Uh, but I think, I don't know if, he, if he's willing to go through the process. Does he want to find out the, the machinations of the arbitration system? I think, uh, you know, I think I see like a, a deal eventually being worked out without them going to a hearing. Uh, Lindor, too, I think he, what he's, like you said last year, he signed for, he agreed to a, a deal for $10.55 million. I mean, he could have easily gone to arbitration probably gotten more I, I would think I, you know I mean it's hard to argue with what he's done uh so, Whitgren it, I think he'll sign he, he's mm -hmm. like 1.3 million projected to make uh Naquin I think he's got a you know I, he's, he's been hurt you know so I yep. think he, he he reaches a settlement before going to arbitration so Frankie wound up uh taking slightly less than uh in uh, less than the the record for first year arbitration award. Uh, that's what he signed for. I, I, I forget. I think it was was it, was it Chris, Bryant? Chris Bryant? Chris it was Bryant. Chris Bryant who who set the record for the first year award, and it was north of you know that ten million, ten point eight million or something like that mark. Uh, the I, I believe the the record for the second year arbitration eligible was Mookie Betts. I think is is his record, uh, and that's somewhere like sixteen million, something like that. I think Lindor will will get less than that, 
re- regardless. Um, but he's projected to make sixteen point seven million. Sixteen point, I, yeah. I, I think he'll be slightly less than whatever Betts's record for the second year award will be. Um, but you know, you're talking about a guy who, if he were out on the open market right now, you know, would be challenging forty million as a as a salary. He's a you know twenty five to thirty million dollar ball player right now. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's what his him and his agent are waiting on. They're watching the what, clock. <laughs> what's the? I, I think the 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 record, the highest paid uh, salary is like it, it might be Trout right now. It's like it, it's north of thirty five million, isn't it? Um, I know uh, I, Trout was a four hundred million dollar contract overall. I think it was a nine year deal, maybe. But uh, what's his face? Uh, Garrett Cole was thirty six point. I think he's he's averaging thirty six million over the course of a nine million dollar deal, a nine year deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout's like thirty nine million dollars for for twenty nineteen was his was his salary. So, yeah, that's you're talking about Lindor certainly being up there and and, and worth it and, and and able to challenge for uh, the record salary when he's on the open market. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump into questions. Do you have any questions from our, our listeners as we, uh, get into the new year? Yeah, we got a couple here. Uh, this is from Andy Meese from Sandusky. Uh, with Jordan Luplo having uh, success against left-handed pitching last season, would Terry Francona give Luplo a shot at the, at an everyday job in the outfield, uh, which which would entail facing righties and lefties. Uh, what do you think? I I think he's probably a platoon guy uh, in in left field uh, with one of the left-handed bats that the Indians have. I I don't know that he gets an everyday uh, shot to hit against right-handers. But if you look at what's been going on in the division uh, in terms of free agents and and trades and and whatnot. Uh, the happiest guy on the Indians roster this this offseason should be Jordan Luplo. Uh, you've got Dallas Keuchel signing, uh, lefty signing in, in uh, Chicago, uh, I believe. And Gio uh, Gonzalez, too. Gio Gonzalez. There's, the, the, the worst day was when the, the White Sox cut Manny Banuelos, I think. <laughs> you know, I think Jordan Luplo shed a tear uh, that day. Cause he what, did he get six home game. runs against Manny? Like, kill that guy. He had two two home run games against the guy. It was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think Rich Hill uh, signed. Uh, he's, he's not healthy right now, but eventually he's going to pitch some games for, for Minnesota. So there are – and Matt Boyd is still, uh, still, as of right now, on the roster in Detroit. So you're talking plenty of left-handers that are going to be facing the Indians this year. Plenty of opportunities for, for Jordan Lupo to be in the lineup. Yeah, and I think he'll get a shot in, in, in spring training, especially probably toward the end of spring training. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. When a guy platoons and has success, everybody wants him to, uh, you know, become an everyday player. But sometimes you're having success because you're only facing the hitters, the pitchers that you do well against. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. But I hope he gets – I think, uh, you know, Francona talked a lot about giving Luplo a shot at the end of the season, last season, to be an everyday guy. So uh, we'll see how that, that works out. Here's another one uh, from Bill Drummer from uh, Wasian. Oh. 
now that second base is settled, I hope the Indians truly give Bobby Bradley a shot. I, w- I would DH him against righties and put Reyes in right field against lefties. I would, I would DH Reyes and play Luplo in right. Uh, Bradley has nothing left to prove at AAA. Uh, at least try him for two months to get some pop in the lineup. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think Carlos Santana is your everyday first baseman, so there's, there's really not a lot of opportunity to get Bradley on the field. Also, there's still lots of questions about his glove. Uh, and, and, and hardly any about Santana's glove. I, I mean, he's, he's actually made himself into a, a pretty solid defensive first baseman. Uh, you, you're, you're not going to sacrifice any playing time for Carlos Santana, who pretty much wants to be in the lineup every single day. And uh, I think he's earned that right. And, and, you know, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be out there. Uh, yeah, I think you're that, right, Joe. I, that's, I, what, I really... that's what's blocking him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I mean, if, I mean, Bradley, I mean, if if, uh, if Reyes could play every day in right field, you know, Bradley would have a shot at, at DH. <clears throat> but I don't think that's going to work. You know, I think, you know, you know they're not going to play Reyes every day in right field. And you also got Bowers, who is probably a better first baseman than Bradley. <laughs> yeah, so Bradley now with, with two options remaining, uh, I just don't see – him as a as a as a real candidate to to play in there at first base, although he, he gives him depth if if anything should happen to Santana or if anything happens to to Bowers or or whatnot. But uh, you know that's that's what you're looking at there in in terms of the the backup at first base. His, his role really right now is to just provide the organization depth. Yeah, and he's got to cut down a swing. You know, hopefully. He cuts on, you know, because he is the guy, the reader is right. I mean, he, he hasn't had he doesn't have too much more to prove at AAA, but I think he's got to work on the finer points of his game. Uh, this is from um, this is from Stephen from Arroyo Grande, Grande, California. Okay, I realize this question is a year old, but would the trade for Carlos Santana have occurred? if the Phillies had not traded him to the Mariners? You know, I was thinking about this question, Joe. I think it still would have happened. Obviously, you know, the Phillies wanted to move Santana because they traded him to uh, – and and I think, uh, you know, the one holdup, you know, there was a couple holdups that would have happened. I mean, you know, uh, the Indians traded uh, uh, Edwin Encarnacion to Seattle. Would 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 uh, the Phillies have taken you know a DH basically back for uh, for Santana and then uh, and then involved uh, and then because I think they could have just did the deal you know the Bowers for uh, Yandy Diaz trade with Tampa right. Bay as a straight trade and uh, you know and the money was going back and forth so I don't know I don't know if that deal gets made this it might not get made. Well, like you said, the the Phillies had to move Santana for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, one of which was their reported uh, incident in the clubhouse where where things weren't uh, weren't all happy and pleasant between uh, Santana and and guys like Jake Arrieta, who uh, I, I guess Santana smashed a TV screen when the, the Phillies players were losing and playing video games in the clubhouse. 
Uh, that story came out in spring training uh, last year. But uh, the other big reason why Philly had to move him was to, to get Reese Hoskins over at first base. Uh, that was the, the, the big reason uh, they, they did that. And they brought in Bryce Harper to, to play the outfield and move Hoskins from the outfield to first base. So, uh, you know, really that, that was the whole reason that trade got done. Uh, when there was a need and there was an opportunity to bring back a guy who, uh, by all accounts, wanted to be back home in Cleveland. And, you know, the organization and Terry Francona in particular absolutely loved him. And it worked out for pretty much for everybody because, you know, Philly got what they needed. Uh, um, Seattle actually was able to flip Encarnacion over to New York and, and get some prospects there. And, uh, you know, it didn't wind up costing them too much. Uh, so I, I think that was one of those rare deals where everybody got what they wanted and, and it, it worked out for everybody. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that's, it's, it's an interesting question. And I, I, I just don't, <laughs> if, but if, yeah, because obviously they, the, like you said, the Phillies had to trade Seattle one, I mean, Santana one way or the other. All right. Well, uh, I, uh, some, some interesting, uh, questions from the readers, obviously, uh, Keep them coming. Keep sending them. Uh, keep uh, posting them to uh, to Twitter, and and we'll get to as many of them as we can uh, throughout these these podcasts this season. Uh, Paul, uh, some of the other uh, things that uh, Chris Antonetti talked about in his uh, press conference uh, this week with us, uh, he did bring up uh, Daniel Johnson, or we, we asked him about Daniel Johnson and how excited he is uh, to see Johnson in uh spring training uh it looks like uh johnson he, he played at two different levels for the indians last year was acquired in the Jan gomes trade uh played in the futures game for the indians and for the american league this is a guy who is is sort of a, an up-and-coming guy to keep an, an eye on in a, a crowded mix there for the outfield uh for the indians this year yeah definitely he, he had a great spring training last year and uh, really played well at Double A AA and Triple A this past season. Hit you know over three hundred at, at for the for Columbus. <clears throat> Showed some power, extra base power. Uh, has some speed. Can play left or right field. And then he played some winter ball. So yeah, he's he's a guy uh, that I think they'll be really given a hard look to in spring training. I've, as far as though expecting him to be on the opening day roster, you know any chance that that happens or is it more like a guy that they, they would probably want to bring along slowly next season to make his debut at some point? Yeah, I think I look at him like an Oscar Mercado kind of deal, Joe, if he has a good spring. Uh, you know, Francona always says he doesn't want like young players to come up in Cleveland uh, in April because uh, April can be a cruel month weather-wise. And I think he'd rather bring up, uh, if Johnson does come up, bring him up on a roll like Mercado came up last year and have him hit the ground running. And they've got nine outfielders. I mean, counting, obviously counting uh, Johnson, he's one of nine outfielders. So I think they're going to have to do a lot of sorting through combinations and the guys they like and dislike, you know, Zimmer and, and Naquin are, are kind of injury concerns. Are that are they going to be ready? You know, Naquin we know isn't going to be ready. And, and Zimmer going to start the year at AAA. 
Uh, so I think they've got a lot of questions here. I, I think Johnson probably is going to be better served starting a year at AAA and then coming – if he gets a shot, if there's an opening, and coming up, you know, in, in May or June. Yeah, he could throw us a curveball and, and just hit his way onto the team, I guess. But, you know, that, that remains to be seen. Like you said, Francona has a tendency to stick with uh, veteran guys for those. And especially when the Indians play, you know, as many games as they do early in the first two weeks of the season uh, at home and in Detroit and in the, in the cold cold weather. Long uh, jobs, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to be asking for space heaters in the press box. It's, it's going to be pretty nasty. Uh, another guy that was mentioned was uh, Nolan Jones, the Indians' top overall prospect. Uh, third baseman had surgery uh, on his hand uh, in the middle of the uh, the Arizona Fall League. He's recovering, according to Antonetti. He's in a good spot, made a lot of progress over the winter, and he expects that he'll be able to come to Goodyear uh, unrestricted once camp starts. Yeah, maybe uh, you know, maybe they'll get a, get a look at him in some of the uh, big league spring training games, you know, in the in the late innings. But right now, uh, it didn't sound like, you know, previous to this conference call, Anthony said he wasn't really in the team's plans for uh, this winter to, uh, you know, be on the uh, kind of on the radar for the big league club. I think they'd like to see him play. Well, he hasn't played above Double A, right? So. I think they'd like yeah. to see him start at Double A, move up to Triple A, and get some time there. And uh, they, they did. Uh, Anthony did get into questions about, uh, you know, the bullpen. And uh, Tyler Clippard was uh, a sort of a mainstay for the Indians bullpen. Really, uh, uh, a Swiss Army knife type guy pitched in a variety of roles for the Indians last year. But he is now a member of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Signing a deal over there, uh, not a not a very you know big deal. I think it was two point seven five million to get him for uh, for the season uh, for Minnesota. Uh, this was a guy that the Indians actually it did have uh, some interest in bringing back. Uh, Antonetti admitted, um, but he said the the fit was was better for for Clifford over in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I don't know if they wanted to bring Clippard back on a, a minor league deal or what, but he got a big league deal with uh, the Twins. This is a guy, you know, like uh, Joe, we saw him pitch all last year. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a veteran guy. He knows what to do. You know, he was an opener for, what, two or three starts. He made two or three starts for him. Uh, two years ago, he makes he goes 73, makes 73 appearances for Toronto and has to come to camp with the Indians as a, as a spring training invitee. Uh, last year, he goes 1-0 and with the 2.90 ERA, 53 appearances uh, for the Tribe. And uh, he finally got a big league job. So uh, I don't blame him, but I, I think the Indians will miss him. They, they, they need some kind of veteran, uh, veteran kind of leadership. A guy, like you said, can fill a variety of roles in the bullpen. Yeah, I think it was, it was great with, with Clippard. You know, very steady, very consistent, very veteran uh, sort of approach. and then. You knew if there was ever a, a rain delay or a, you know a big delay in the game, and you had to come back and you lost your starter. Uh, we pretty much knew who was going to be the first guy out of the pen, and that was going to be Clipper. Uh, you know, you could pretty much tell him with with five minutes warning, "Hey, you're 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 the guy. Let's go." And and he'd be up and and able to to give you a few innings. Yeah, I like him because he never changed. You know, good outing, bad outing. You know, he. I think he knew just how to handle the ups and downs of the season, and that you know, 
that can go a long way in the clubhouse. You know, younger relievers can look to that. And, uh, you know, so uh, that, that part of his game will be missed. All right. Uh, another guy uh, that will be missed, I guess, will be uh, Eric Haas. Uh, hit 28 home runs uh, last season in AAA. Uh, for the Indians, was second uh, in the, the, the Indians minor league system to Bobby, Bobby Bradley in uh, home runs hit, but uh, struck out maybe a little bit too much. The Indians DFA'd Haas uh, when they signed Cesar Hernandez, so uh, Haas was traded to Detroit for cash considerations. Uh, maybe maybe gets a chance over there in, in the Detroit organization to, to make his way to the big leagues at some point. Uh, we will likely see Eric Haas uh, play against the Indians possibly in the next year or so. Yeah, I love Haas. He's a good dude. Um, hit 130 home runs in the Indians minor league system. One oh. in the big leagues. <laughs> it's uh, who's who's the uh, first? Well, to be big fair, he only he only played in 19 games for the Indians yeah, big right. league. So. But, but uh, you know, so he's got some power. He's gonna. He's from Michigan. He's gonna get. He'll get a shot, and he's got a better shot. In, in with the Tigers, a rebuilding team to play there than he does uh, in Cleveland, where he'd be behind uh, what Perez and Leon. <clears throat> so that, that, I think uh, that'll help him. I I hope he doesn't turn into Jesus Aguilar, though, which uh, kind of reminds me that that same similar career path, not as much power as Jesus, but uh, you know a lot well, of a lot of home runs in the minor leagues. Yeah, and and every time he sees an Indian <laughs> uniform, he turns into Babe Ruth. So. That's uh, that's the Aguilar that we all know and love. Uh, all right. Uh, as as we're moving forward, uh, we did get, like you alluded to earlier, uh, the announcement that 32 of the 40 players on the Indians roster uh, are going to be in attendance at Tribe Fest. Uh, Mike Clevenger and Francisco Lindor among those 32 players. So, uh, you, you know, from a PR standpoint, you don't throw those, you don't run those guys out there at uh, a fan event like that and then uh, deal either one of them before the, the, the season starts. Uh, I think uh, I think like you said, that's a pretty good indication that uh, those guys will both be in uniform for the Indians uh, come opening day. Uh, you know I, you look forward to uh, this this tribe fest uh, coming up at the, the beginning of February as, as just an opportunity to, to see some of these guys in a more relaxed setting. Well, you know, Joe, like, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a great idea for fans, <coughs> you know, to just, you know, get the season, get the fan base going and, you know, all the activities they have at, at Tribe Fest. Uh, I wish there was, we had more access to the players you know, <laughs> as, as a media because we don't see them during Tribe Fest. I think they'll open the locker room. What, the day before, before, yeah. Tribe Fest, mm-hmm. but. But I think it's a, it's a great event, definitely. And it, you know, it just it it's an opportunity for the the fans to get up close and touch. I, I just I just fear that everybody who goes for a, a Lindor autograph in one of those sessions is going to start making is pleading cases and, and putting you know Frankie in in awkward position to have to defend himself like that. But but hey, he he hasn't answered any questions about it you know from us so. Maybe the the fan approach would be the way to go. Yeah, I mean, you know that that comes with the territory. You know, it's not right. like uh, the fans are going to say please stay. You know, they're not going to say please go. So, I mean, they're going to be on his side. Uh, right. 
you know, and uh, he's always, you know, he's been fair with us. He's been fair when, and I think hopefully we get a chance to talk to him. Uh, I remember what last, last, last year with Tribe Fest, when Bauer and uh, Kluber were, were the kind of focus of the trade talks. I don't think we saw those guys in the, in the locker. We didn't see those guys and we didn't see Lindor. We didn't talk to him much. So, you know, that was, they, they know when to stay out of the clubhouse when we're there. So, uh, <laughs> We're also looking at – you can also tell it's the, the offseason because uh, the dates circled on our calendars coming up. Uh, the, the Cleveland Sports Awards are, are coming up in a couple of weeks here towards the end of January, uh, a time, a, a, an opportunity once in a while to see, uh, you know, if Terry Francona is in town or Roberto Perez usually is, is the, the Indians representative. I know last year Sandy Alomar got an award there. Uh, so that's a night where there's a, maybe a little bit of uh, access for the media. Uh, and then uh, truck day is, is shortly after that when the Indians ship all of their uh, stuff out to Arizona. The, uh, the truck departs from Progressive Field. Uh, you know, always a, a day to, to go and talk to some people and take some pictures. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. I believe that's coming up the end of January. Uh, it's, it's getting here fast now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about it uh, – Valentine's Day, uh, 14th, is, uh, you know, mandatory report day. Yeah, well, I, camp opens on February 11th, so. Right. Ready. But I think the veterans report, uh, I think the first. Yeah, I think 15th, report. the full squad works out maybe 15th mm -hmm. or 16th, February. Well, yeah, from, from now until uh, Valentine's Day, you've got uh, um, a little bit over a month and a half. Uh all right, Paul. Uh, take care of the uh, the Jamaican flu that you got there uh, from the, uh, the, uh, the the time away there, well deserved. But uh, we will talk to you again, hopefully next week, and uh, on another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.